0: Peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is James 1, 1 through 12. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in your bulletin or on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad. Greetings. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be made mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind." That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation, because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises, and together with the scorching wind, dries up the grass. Its flower falls off, and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. Blessed is the one who endures trials because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. This is the word of the Lord. you. You may be seated.
1: Thank you. peace be with you. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your grace, your grace which has drawn us, which has saved us, your grace which keeps us. We thank you, Father God, for your mercy, for your your love towards us, for this gospel, this good news that we believe, that we have believed, and that we believe over and over every day. We thank you for your sustaining, keeping power. We thank you, Father God, that there is no one like you in heaven or in earth. There is no gods beside you. And I pray, Father God, that you would minister to the depths of our hearts and our soul, that you would use me, an imperfect person, to preach your perfect word, that you would sanctify your word in the hearts of your people, drawing them to a deeper trust in you, that you would hide us behind your cross so that we could see the glories of your son and his beauty and his his grandeur, his majesty, so that we can go from one degree of glory to the next. I pray, Lord, that you would move me out of the way and allow this to be a spirit-empowered, speaking to your people who know your voice and a stranger they won't follow. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. So today we're starting a new series entitled A Faith That Works, and we'll be uh, preaching through for the next couple of months the the book of James. James is the half-brother of Jesus. We see in verse 1, that he uh, considers himself now to be a a servant of Jesus as he is writing this letter to the 12 tribes that are dispersed um, all across Mesopotamia, uh, Macedonia, uh, Asia, as well as Europe. And the reason that they are, are dispersed these ways is, is for a number of different reasons. We know historically of uh, the Assyrians and the Babylonians, the Assyrians, in 722 uh, BC, as, a, as an act of God's judgment, uh, judges his people, judges Israel because of their idolatry, and they become dispersed. They leave their homeland and their underformed rule, as well as we see two centuries later, with the Babylonians. But we also see that they are dispersed, according to Acts chapter eight. Um, Because of a suffering that has hit Jerusalem that was started with the uh, suffering of of Stephen. Um, And so in Acts 2, we see uh, that people are gathered together to uh, celebrate their cultural uh, festival when the Holy Spirit falls down through the preaching of Peter. And there are are Jews then from all over who uh, are uh, indwelled with the Holy Spirit and given new hearts. Thousands of people are added to the church. But when they leave uh, outside of Jerusalem because of suffering, and when they leave to go back home, they're really outcasts. They're outcasts from their fellow kinsmen, from their fellow Jews, because they're believing that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead but they're also outcast by fellow Gentiles throughout the Roman Empire. They are uh, kind of uh, almost equivalent to what we will see with Assyrian the refugees. They are without a place, without a home. They are often poor and nomads, traveling from place to place. They are immensely suffering, and James pens this letter to those who are suffering. To those who are, are poor, to those who are brokenhearted, to those who are downcast, to those who are depressed, and he is seeking to encourage them by, by showing them what it means to have a faith that works. Now when we say a faith that works, we mean two things. Number one, a faith that works. That in various situations, in various circumstances, their, their faith is working. So sometimes you know our faith, we wonder like a microphone, like, is this thing on? Is it working? And and James is saying, listen, I I want you to develop a mature faith that works in and out of all circumstances and situations. But also he's writing up to say, hey, I want you to have a faith that, that works, that does good works. James, The book of James is a very actionable book. 59 of the 108 verses in the book of James are imperatives or commands where James is calling us to do something, calling us to action. Now some people see the book of James and they say, well, James has lost his way, and it's not a, a gospel centered book. After all, James does not mention the cross, he doesn't mention the resurrection, he doesn't mention atonement, so is James really uh should James really be in the canon? And with they fail to see is that James is writing to encourage a group of Christians in an area that he sees is, is lacking. Uh, perhaps they are, are suffering. And as they're going through, they, they are, are taking more of a lazy approach or approach that is not action oriented, approach that is not merciful to their neighbors. And they're thinking that's okay. So what is James doing? He is stirring them up to say, uh, faith without works is dead. How do you know if your faith is genuine? You you know your faith is genuine because it's producing things, it's producing fruit, it's producing life. It is looking a certain way. So he's not teaching that faith of the salvation is by works. No, he's teaching that true, genuine faith comes with works. Today we're going to look at how James is going to minister to those who are dispersed and who are suffering. And who are hurting. And the reason why this is important is because uh, we'll see in just a second, we're all are going to be, we all are sufferers and we all are hurting. And it's incredibly important as the church that we have a theology of suffering. And part of maturing in our faith is having a, a proper understanding of what God is doing in times of testing, in times of suffering, so that we can grow in Christ's likeness and maturity, and so that we won't be like the children of Israel spending our days walking around and su- walking around in a wilderness stuck in the same place because we haven't responded in the way that God calls us to respond through his word. Um, before you you have a. a, a your, your, uh, your pamphlet, your handout today that has all the notes for your sermon. And inside on the first page, you see a woman by the name of, of Beth Mack that's on the front. And inside you have a small testimony about Beth's story and how uh, for the last few years she's been suffering uh, through, through illness. And you can read the quote now, you can read it later, but that's a beautiful quote that she quotes And talking about the sovereignty of God and the power of his word and how she's come to a place to trust him, to trust Christ's goodness, to see that Jesus is weeping for her as she goes through trials and has made her a more steadfast Christian. And, And I'm sure that if you were to talk to Beth, she would say that didn't happen overnight. And I'm sure that she would say that there are moments where her faith is weak and she doubts and doesn't trust in God's sovereignty. But I believe that that testimony, that paragraph is a great picture of where we all should want to be as we suffer, as we live through trials, that we all should want to be at a place where our faith is developed and maturing. And I think before us today, we have one of the most clearest and powerful verses in all of scripture about suffering. And I think as a church, if we hold on to what James says, and if we make this one of those those chapters that we come back to time and time again in times of suffering, that Christ will be made much of in our lives and that we'll be able to experience a joy that the world didn't give and that the world can't take away. And so let's look at this real quick. We want to show you three things about suffering that James shows us, three realities of suffering that's important for us all to know as disciples of Jesus Christ. And here he uses the word uh, trials. Some translations he says tests. Sometimes he he uses both. So I'll go back and forth. But when we talk about trials and tests, we're talking about times of suffering. He gives us three things to to know about our times of suffering. Number one, suffering or tests are unavoidable. They are unavoidable. Avoidable. Look at your, your Bible. Notice what it says. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Notice what he says, whenever. He doesn't say if. He doesn't say if. It's not a matter of if you're going to suffer as a human being. It's a matter of when. It's not a matter of if you're going to suffer as a Christian. It's a matter of When Suffering is unavoidable. Job says this in Job 14 and one, anyone born of a woman is short of days and full of trouble. Let me ask you a question. It's a really deep question. All right. How many of you have been born of a woman? Okay. Here's the reality. You're going to suffer. (laughs) Every single human being suffers. It's unavoidable. The second he tells us that tests are unpredictable. He says, whenever you experience various trials, that word experience in some translations, it says meet, okay? And the idea there is whenever you fall into trials, fall into tests, fall into suffering unexpectedly, it's the same word that's used in Luke chapter 10 when it talks about a man who fell upon robbers. In the story that we know is the Good Samaritan, the, the man who unexpectedly got robbed and beat. James is saying that's what trials are. And that's the problem with problems. The problem with problems is you can't plan when they happen. You can't plan when a, a, a loved one unexpectedly dies. You can't plan when you uh, unexpectedly are laid off and, and, and lose your job. You know, we had a dear sister who uh, babysits for us uh, quite often. She's uh, one of uh, a number of people who's just been a gift to us, uh, keep our kids uh, recently for a quick date night. Me and Amber went out to eat. And while we were uh, out to eat, we had a good time. We came back home and we walk in the door and she has a, I believe it was like a towel or a napkin up to her ear. And as soon as I walked in, I'm like, uh-oh, this ain't about to be pretty. And she was just so patient and so calm and so loving, um, and she told us what happened that one of our kids, as they were playing, kind of jumped on her back. She fell back, hit her head on, our dre- on the dresser, and, and uh, kind of got a really nasty gash in which we had to take her to the urgent care, and she had to get stitches, right? She's here today, amen. <laughs> Didn't know you were here. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Hey, <laughs> girl. Right? And so she unexpectedly had a trial. She didn't plan to be in a, in a, uh, in a hospital room uh, getting stitches that night. And we didn't plan to have one of the most expensive date nights of our lives to pay the bill, right? <laughs> And that's the problem with problems. You don't plan for them. They happen unexpectedly, and they kind of throw you off, and you don't know what's coming. And some of them are a lot more serious, a lot more hard than than the one that I just mentioned. Sometimes our tests, sometimes our trials uh, beat us up to the point that it feels like we are being literally beat and robbed of all of our livelihood, all of our sense, all of our joy. And James is talking to a crowd of Christians who know what that's like as they have been displaced and they feel like they don't have a home and they've given up everything to follow Jesus. But third, and tests are unalike. Tests are unalike. Look at your your Bible. It, It says here, consider a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience, look at this, various trials. Uh, the idea there is diverse trials. Trials are diverse. They don't come in one shape or size. They come in multiple shapes and size. They're like a pack of, of crayons, 64 crayons. You have all kind of different colors. And you notice to be true, some tests, some trials, it takes a day to get over. Some other tests and trials, it takes a month to get over. Some tests and trials, it takes us a year to get over. Some of us are still grieving the loss of our parents. Some of us are still grieving the fact that we had to relocate because a tornado or hurricane or a levee broke, and it, it uprooted our whole life. Some of us are still grieving the trauma of a tumultuous childhood. That's the problem with problems. The problem with problems is they come in all shapes, forms, and sizes. And they come unexpectedly. Ask Joe. Joe, is that true? Yes, that's true. I was minding my own business. I had a thriving prayer life. I was pursuing justice. And one day, a storm hit, and it almost took me under. And Some of you know that pain. Some of you are here courageously today sitting and hearing this sermon while it seems like your life has been turned upside down. That, that marriage, that relationship, that job, that career didn't work the way that you thought it should. This is the reality that James is showing us, that we live in a fallen world, a world that is broken. We, we, we live in a reality uh, of the fact that we ourselves are sinful and make unwise decisions, and sometimes we reap the fruit of those decisions, all right? Um, if you go into a, a, a store and, and you steal and you're caught on camera and you get thrown in jail, that test is a result of your own decisions, right? And other tests come simply because we're Christians. Jesus said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that they hated me first. That because we're living in a countercultural way, and because we're clinging to a, a resurrected king and savior that the world does not value, we ourselves are going to often find ourselves at odds against the world and hated simply because of what we believe. And that's what Peter talks about in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, when he writes these words. He says, beloved. And sometimes when you are suffering, you just need to know that beloved, you who are deeply loved and cherished by God, do not be surprised if, at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though some strange thing were happening to you. Peter had to remind them. The trials are going to come. Don't be surprised because what happens when we're surprised at our trial? What happens when we constantly live as though we're not living in a reality of a broken world and around broken people and we ourselves are broken? What happens is we spin out. And I'm just going to be real. For some of us, this is a word for you today that the Lord is speaking to you through his word. here, and he is saying, listen, stop you don't have to spin out when something goes wrong. Because what often happens is when, whether big or, or, or small, as our faith is developing, we spin out and we act surprised. And sometimes we take things personal, like the computer stops working and it's like personal. God doesn't love me. My computer, no, it's like 10 years old, yo. <laughs> Like those tires needed to be changed like four months ago. Like your father told you, change those tires, and it blew. And now it's not that God doesn't love you. It's just that that's what happens with tires. But what happens with our suffering is many times we spin out. Hey, and before Christ, when we spent out, we had a way of responding. Before Christ, when we spent out, what we did is we we naturally we panicked, and through our, our panicking, we found ourselves seeking pleasures outside of Christ. We found ourselves restless and not being able to sleep, or possibly we found ourselves overworking, trying to, to fix things because we felt like things were in our, in our control or in our hands. And when trials come, when storms happen, what do we do? We run to those kind of comfort, uh, those creature comforts. We run to, to food, thinking that the food is going to somehow uh, bring us the relief that we need. We run to other people looking for affirmation, and community affirmation is important. Hebrews chapter 3 tells us, but when we think that that is what is going to bring us the relief, it's, it's unfulfilling. We run to, to sex and pornography, or we run to, to money. We run to all these different things, and they are broken cisterns, which only satisfy us for a moment, but then they leave us hurting more than when we found it. And what James is trying to teach the church is saying, hey, you've been born again. You are no longer a slave to sin. You have a savior that is inviting you to run to him rather than these creature creature comforts that do not satisfy. He's saying there's a better way to respond to your tests. There's a better way to respond to your trials. Know that they are coming. Know that it's a part of being human. It's a part of being a Christian. Know that they are unpredictable. Know these things and be prepared and grounded so when they come, you don't keep spinning out like the children of Israel in the wilderness, wandering for 40 years. So this is a call to you. This is a call to me to to grow up and to have a mature faith and James is going to help us to do that first by showing us that our tests, they are, they are purposeful. They are purposeful. When God allows us to be tested, he is testing something specific, and that is our faith. James here says that God tests our faith in order to produce something. And what does he test our faith in order to produce? Look at your Bibles in verse 3. He says to produce endurance endurance. Some texts and some versions say steadfastness. What is endurance or steadfastness? It is, as Craig Bloomberg writes, steadfastness is the ability to steady cling to the truth within any situation. That's what God is producing. He's producing an attitude that says, for all I trust Him. He's producing staying power, the ability for us to stay put when things around us seem to be falling apart. And now the steadfastness that happens is is happening in both a needs to happen in, in, in a passive way and then an active way. Notice what the text says. He says, and let steadfastness have its full effect. That's passive. He says, when you're suffering, we need to let it happen in a passive sense, meaning that while we're suffering, we need not to buck against God. You know what happens? Uh, Louisville Derby folks to a horse that's in a stable that bucks in a stable and goes wild, he can hurt himself. That horse can knock himself out. And if someone else is in it, it can, can kill another person. In the same way, when we are going through our times of suffering and we leave our home base and we leave our anchor, which is Christ, and we try to find relief and fulfillment and in, in things that, that won't satisfy us, we are bucking against God's work, God's producing of endurance, and we end up hurt. And that's what James is saying. He's saying, so you need to let this happen. You need to let this take place. But it's also active in that this is not a, a downtrodden passivity. This rather is an engaged raid, uh, 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 waiting. This is a, a militant patience. Steadfastness is, is faith stretched out. Steadfastness is staying put even though it is hard and God is stretching me knowing that he is producing something in me. And what is he producing? Look at your text. It says, and let endurance have its full effect. Don't buck against the process. Don't knock yourself out. Don't let the test knock you out. He says, and the way you do that is by knowing that God is doing something. What is he doing? He is making you mature. Notice what he says, complete and lacking in nothing. He really says the same thing three times over. He's making you mature, complete, and lacking nothing. Listen, your suffering, your pain has a purpose. And part of the way you pass your test without passing out is knowing that God is not wasting your pain, knowing that God is not bringing this trial to you to break you. He's not bringing this trial to you to, to make you to completely burn out. So he doesn't want you to leave the faith as a result of this trial. No, he's bringing this trial to you because he is committed to your joy. He is committed to your happiness. Your He is committed to uh, your flourishing, and that flourishing happens as we look less like ourselves and more like Jesus Christ. He is, Romans 8, uh, and 29, conforming us to the image of his son, working all those things to our good and his glory. He says, let it have its effect. <laughs> And I know it's hard. I, I know it's painful. I know it's, it's gut wrenching. I know it's, it's sometimes confusing as you can't even get out of your own thoughts or your own experience. And it seems like everyone is uh, against you and you, you are cursed. But hear what James is saying God has not abandoned you, He is with you and He is shaping you. So what does this mature and complete and and wholeness look like? I think it looks like Philippians 4.11 where the Apostle Paul writes these words, that in every situation I learn to be content. This endurance, this maturity, this completeness, it doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. We have to learn. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstances. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hungry and, and hunger, abundance and need. That's what God is doing in all of us. He wants to bring you to the place where you know how to be brought low. How to be in a situation where you are lacking. Something, or you think that you're lacking something, but you realize that that what you're lacking isn't the most important thing, that you have Christ Jesus, and through him you can do all things. But he also wants you to get to a place where when you're abounding in every circumstance where you're not finding your identity and what you have, because you know that what you have can be taken away, that the sun can come and can scorch you. That's what James is dealing with in James 9 through 12 through 11 when he talks about the poor brother exalted, and, uh, uh in Christ and the rich brother finding humility. He's saying that, that when tests and storms come, when we allow them to do their good work in us, no matter whether we're rich or poor, we, we are satisfied. And the satisfaction comes in Christ. That's what we call contentment. Listen, all of us have systems. All of us have way of living personalities, experiences that's balled up in in, in a a big ball that's kind of inside of us, which which is called our heart. And we have learned to relate and to handle stress in different ways. And what God is doing through trials and through tests is he is kind of unballing that up. He is doing some reconstruction. He's moving some things over so that we can respond in healthy ways that lead to our wholeness. And that takes work. Like if a house could talk that's going through a a reconstruction process, if a house could could talk as it's going through a remodeling process, it could probably tell you it's not pretty to have this wall knocked down. If it had feelings, it would tell you. Like, now, it don't feel good to have this carpet pulled up and some wood put down and this chandelier moved and lights put over here and things to be rewired. But if it's done well at the end, you see it's pretty, it's beautiful, and you like it better now than where you found it. Well, God is doing the same thing in all of our lives through day-to-day circumstances. He's knocking down some walls. He's fixing some, 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 some faucets. He's moving around some furniture. He's putting in a new ceiling and a new floor in your life, and he is reordering a heart that was Bent on self and bent on finding pleasure and things that do not satisfy. And James said, "Let it have its full effect. Stop bucking against it. Get out the stable and trust your master." And how you do that? Three ways he tells us to do that. The first is to rejoice," he says, <laughs> to consider it a great joy. Ha <laughs> Ha) James probably looked at this like, what? They probably got this letter to consider it a great... This man tripping. Like, I don't feel like singing Pharrell's happy song as I suffer. But that's not what James is telling us to do. He's not telling us to just ignore our, our storms. He's not telling us to just muster up strength and put on a fake smile. He's giving us something deeper. When he says consider, he's saying calculate it as consider it as as great joy. He's not talking about emotion. He's talking about a deliberate, a deliberate processing of what's happening in light of what God has done for you. As you suffer, take time to remember all that is true. That's what we see in verse three. Look, because he says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces that fast. He says, no, you can count it all joy. You can count it as a great joy that you're going through this because you know some stuff. And what's the main thing? You know, he says, you know that God is using this to make you stronger. See, when we don't have that in front of us, we can't process our pain because we think that it's just pain for pain's sake, or we believe that, that, that this pain is happening as a result of our, our own sinfulness, that God is somehow angry at us and trying to get back at us. Listen, God is not angry at you. God is not against you. We all struggle. We all fall short of God's glory. If you are hidden in Christ, God's wrath has been absorbed by him, but he is a loving father that does. Allow discipline to take place in our life so that we can learn to trust Christ and look more like Christ. And so this invitation is for us to pause in the midst of our our storm and to remember what God has said. He says, and you know. Same thing that Paul says in Romans chapter eight. For you know that all things are working together for your good. And that's hard to do. And I will really have a problem if the Bible told me to rejoice for my circumstances, but the Bible never says rejoice for your circumstances. First Thessalonians five eighteen tells us to give thanks or to rejoice in your circumstance. Like I can't rejoice for the cancer, for the sickle cell, for the loss of my job, but I can rejoice in it. And the way that I rejoice in it is by remembering that God loves me and that he has a plan for me and nothing can separate me from his love. That's what David says. I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise will continually be in my mouth. You read that. You're like, David, you ain't always rejoicing in the Lord. Like I read Psalm 13. You saying, why Lord? you crying out. You want to dash people's heads against the stone. But one thing that David does do is David constantly comes back after lamenting as he's processing his emotions. He constantly comes back to his anchor and to his rock, which is his savior. And so God is saying, be real. Don't put up a fake smile. This isn't just an emotion. Be real, process it, lament, but don't forget who I am. Bless me in the process. Praise me in the process. Remember my mercy upon you. In the process, sit down and write a mercy list and say, this may not be going well, but look at all the ways you've been merciful. I still got shoes on my feet. Uh, 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 I still got a roof over my head. I may not have to lay me on, but by goodness gracious sakes, I've got a hot dog. I've got some rice. I've got something. And If I don't have that, I still got some strength in my body. And he can make a way. So he says, rejoice. But second, he tells us to, to make our requests, to, to pray. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives it to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. So first thing he says is rejoice. Consider it joy. Remember what you know. God loves you. God is for you. God is working endurance, maturity, Romans 5, 1 through 5, that leads to hope. Then he says, pray. And this, this, this may seem, seem like so simple, the ABCs of Christianity and all these different things, but I'm telling you, y'all, we don't. Many times when we suffer and when it comes unexpectedly, prayer is like the last thing on our list. We, we, we'll call mama before we call on Jesus. We tell Facebook before we tell Jesus. Nuke, nuke, Bebe, our cousins, we'll tell everybody. And all the while, God is saying, Come to me, all you who are heavy, laden, and burdened, and I'll give you rest. All the while, He's saying, Bring your anxieties to me. And He says, what, what should you ask for? You should ask for something specific, and that's wisdom. That's wisdom. That's what we need. James said, Any of you who are in need, let them ask for wisdom. I think James is just being humble there he's trying to take off a little pressure. If, if, if I was the right, I'd be like, all y'all need wisdom, so pray for it. <laughs> if any of you lacks anything. We all need wisdom. Wisdom is God's. Uh, is, 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 is us being able to make the right decision and do the right thing at the right time for the right reason. And when we're suffering and we're going through, that's what we need. We need God to help us to process things correctly And to to live life abundantly in the midst of our trials. Now notice what James says here. He says that God gives it generously and ungrudgingly. Like when you pray for wisdom, it's a promise that it will come. It may not come when you think it should come. But God's never late. He's always on time. What's faith, what's steadfastness is faith stressed out. So keep waiting in faith. But know that as you pray, have confidence that he's going to answer you. He's going to give you wisdom. So wait upon the Lord. And when he gives you wisdom, he's not like stand you with it. He's the God of all wisdom. He's not in heaven like, oh, my goodness. It's like the third time this week they ask for wisdom. Jesus, Holy Spirit, how much wisdom should we give? I don't know. Hold on to a little bit. Just give him a little. No, he gives more than enough. He gives more than enough. But what Satan wants us to do is not to place our faith in the Lord, but rather to place our faith in ourselves and to act separately from the will of God, to buck against the process, and then we do further damage than before. And that's what it means to have faith. Faith is an attitude of saying, for all I trust him. That's an attitude that God is cultivating in us all. It's something that we all are going to have imperfectly but it's what God is committed to in us. Let's look at this real quick. Notice what verse six says, but let him ask in faith without doubting for the doubter is like the surging sea driven and tossed by the wind that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. And this brings us to our third point. The first thing we want to do is request. The second thing we want to, uh, the first thing we want to do is rejoice. Second, request. And third, we need to learn to rest and rely. Now here he uses the word doubting. I think uh, a more helpful translation that some of your Bibles actually have footnoted would be, or without divided loyalties. Here he's not talking about just an emotion of what we think of, of doubt, but he's saying, when you pray, don't pray as one who has divided loyalties. Don't pray as one who says, well, Lord, if you answer this, I'll serve you. But if you don't, I'm going to go and do my own thing because you don't love me. Don't be wishy-washy. Don't be like the waves in in the sea that's just going and being driven by by the wind. No, have faith and stand firm. Have that that type of faith that that, uh, Daniel and the three Hebrew boys had when they were facing being thrown in a fiery furnace. If God does not deliver us, it's not because he can't. It's just because he chose not to. But regardless, we are not going to bow. That's what James is giving us an invitation to. He's saying, rest and rely on God. Stop running to your old systems, your old ways of doing things, because things are getting tough. Run to the Lord. And that's what discipleship is. That's why we need older, ma- mature Christians. That's why we need community groups. That's why we need each other to be honest and to say, hey, when things get tough, these are my temptations. These are the lies that I believe. And these are the ways that I feel like I need to get relief. Will you get in here with me and help me to grow by preaching the gospel to me, by knowing and asking the right questions, by, by, by making sure that I'm in God's word so that I don't feel and live as, as if I'm an anomaly? That's a dangerous thing. That's what, listen, mm. that's what Satan wants when we suffer. Satan wants us to start believing that we're the only person that's suffering, that we're the only person that gets it. Satan wants us to go the route of Elijah after Mount Carmel, where he says, I am, and I alone am the only one who has not bowed to Baal. And God's like, what? Well, that's 7,000 people in Israel that haven't bowed to Baal. And the same thing is true for you when you suffer. Satan wants to isolate you. He's a deceiver. He wants you to think that you're the only person in the world that's going through something and carrying a burden. And then we get like the wind and we start blowing all kinds of ways. And the invitation that he's given us here is to rest and rely. Listen to this, Psalm fifty-five, twenty-two. wrapping it up. Give your burdens to the Lord listen to these words, and he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and to fall. He won't permit. Listen to this. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. God is a loving father that wants to hear from you and hear from you often. You say, I'm alone. No one, no one is going to listen to me. God says, I am always here listening to you. You are never alone. You are not an orphan. You are not fatherless. You may have parents who, who deceived you or parents who, who left you depleted. these things. I won't do that. I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. Tell God what you need. What do you need? What is the last time like you got on your knees and you pray to God out of desperation and just let him know where you're at? God, I, I need, I need to know that you're with me and thank him for what he's done. That's that mercy list that we talked about. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6-7. This week, I think that'll be good for you to put to memory and to meditate on. And when Satan tempts you to run to those old structures and those old systems to deal with those things, you can remind yourself that you are a new person. You are no longer a slave to sin. And you take time and you pray. And you sit still before the Lord. So old hymn says, Be still, my soul, when dearest friends depart, And all is darkened in the veil of tears. Then shalt thou better know his love, his heart, who comes to soothe thy sorrow and fears. Be still, my soul, that Jesus can repay from his own fullness all that he takes away. Mm. (sighs) Y'all want to know something? That's not even the best news. best news is this. You will fail to rejoice. You will fail to make your request for wisdom. You will fail to rest and rely on God. The best news is, is there is one who came who did not fail. And that your position with God does not depend upon your good works or your ability to hold it together. Your position with God is not determined by your ability to suffer well. Your position with God is secured by his love for you found in Christ Jesus. And that you have a mediator and an advocate who rejoiced when the cross was set before him who made his request in the garden of Gethsemane by saying, Father, if it is your will, let this cup pass from me. But it wasn't his will, and he marched to Golgotha's hill. And as he was on Golgotha's hill, he was able to relax and to rely by saying, to you I commit my spirit. And here's the best thing, is he defeated our deepest and darkest enemy, which is death. On the third day, by giving up with all power in his hand. And this power is the power which empowers us to grow and suffer well. So the good news is you are forgiven when you fall short. And that God loves you as if you have perfectly suffered well. And that he will empower you to grow in suffering well through his spirit. And every Sunday, we celebrate this good news by taking a meal that points us to Christ's suffering, but also points us to his return. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, gave thanks. Listen, in the midst of his storm, in the midst of facing his darkest test, knowing he was about to die, he gave thanks. He rejoiced for what God had provided for him in that moment. He broke it, knowing that there was going to be his body broken, saying, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, he took a cup and says, this cup is the new covenant of my blood shed for you. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, Christian, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Here at Sojourn, we take a piece of bread, we dip it in wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. And every week when we gather together as a church to take this meal, we're reminded by Christ's faithfulness in a real and tangible way. He's left us with a sacrament, with a symbol to remind us of his love for us. If you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ. Outside of Christ, your pain does not have a purpose. Inside of Christ, your pain has a purpose, and you have the greatest pleasure of being known by God and growing to know God. And to accept this gift, you don't have to pull up your own bootstraps or pull it together. All you have to do is fall in neediness and brokenness, agreeing with God that you are a sinner, alienated from him, and that Jesus Christ came to give you a home and to make you whole. I wanna invite you to do that today. If you wanna learn more about what it means to be a Christian, come talk to me or or grab another person and ask them um, how you can find out more here at Sojourn. Let's pray.